You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Uh, so we're going to be talking about uh, loving your enemies today. And um, one of the funny thing is uh, about your children. Uh, that's an interesting transition. Uh, you'll notice with your kids as they get older, um, there's some things that your kids will do. And, and after they do it, you're like, where in the world did you learn that? You know, like, that, I didn't teach you that. You know, like, who, who taught you that? And then there's other things that your kids will do, and you have no one to blame but yourself, right? Like, you, you'll see them do it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's me. Like, you inherited that from me. I'm sorry. I did that to you. Uh, we had an example of it this past week and, uh, with, with me and the, and the family. We were, um, it's a girl's spring break, so we went up to Mount Hood, and we were doing a little bit of hiking. And uh, Madison loves to take the path less traveled. She's just that type of a kid. If there's a path, she's going to be on rocks and boulders. And she's the kid that goes as close to the edge of the cliff as she possibly can, you know. Any parents have that kid in the, in the family? Or some of you are like, yeah, I'm that kid. Well, the, the tension is that when she's doing it, my wife can get frustrated sometimes because she's like, Madison, don't go so close to the edge when daddy's like right there. You know, like, like Madison, get off the rocks. Oh, wait, your father's up there. And, and, and we get that concept, you've heard of, of like father, like son, or like mother, like daughter. We have these, these, these traits that, are, that our parents have passed on to us that, that model them, some good traits uh, and, and some not so good. Uh, Natalie, for example, gets compassion from my wife. Natalie has this uh, compassionate, gentle spirit, and so does my wife, and that's a really good attribute. Uh, me and Maddie, on the other hand, are, are, are a little more feisty uh, and, and love to take risks. You know, and, 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 we, and she, get, she gets that from me. Uh, and the concept is also true in our relationship with God that, that when we become a part of God's family, as our, as our dad, as our heavenly father, his attributes are, are passed on to us. And some of those attributes come really naturally, and some of them have to be learned, right? We have to, we have to work on those and, and kind of see them uh, come to the, come to the, the forefront, um, uh, there's plenty of obviously worldly attributes that we get that, that don't come from God. But, but when, we re- when we reflect God back to himself, when we reflect these na- this nature of, that God has placed to us, these good things, we reflect back to him and we reflect back to one another. That's what it means to be his image bearers and, and to rep- represent him in his kingdom. And Jesus has been talking about these things in the Beatitudes as, as we're walking through it. Um, he says that we're to be peacemakers, right? God has... God has, has extended peace to us, and now he calls us to be peacemakers. And if we are peacemakers, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So being a son of God and being a peacemaker go, uh, go hand in hand, like father, uh, like, like son. Uh, and so we have to continue to, to search these things out, because Jesus said in the Beatitudes, the blessed, that happy are you when you do these things that are of God and that are, uh, that are of, his, of his kingdom. So in today's passage, we're going to look at the topic of loving your enemies. And, and we have this wrong understanding of loving your enemies uh, that we didn't get from God. So we have to then replace that with who God is and the reality of, of what he's done. And that our Heavenly Father who has loved us has now called us to love each other. So for that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 43. And I want to invite you guys to stand up as we read this passage of Scripture. 
And uh, we stand just to, to focus our hearts and our attentions on the Word of God, believing it's the Word that actually, uh, that actually changes us. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, and the words are up on the screen. Um, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you as always wanting to submit ourselves to your word. Uh, God, understanding that there are um, attitudes and, and characteristics that we exhibit that don't represent your kingdom. Uh, Father, and, and we believe that you are doing an ongoing work inside of us, making us holy, uh, making us like a Jesus, making us perfect in essence is what this, what this passage ends with. Uh, but Father, we just understand that it's a difficult, painful process at times. And so today as we hear your truth, God, would we just wrestle with it? Would you, would you lead us to examine our lives, to examine what needs to change, what needs to be repented of? What does is, what is wrong behavior look like? How do we correct that with right behavior? Uh, because, Father, we do believe that our actions have, have amazing ramifications on, on your kingdom and, and what other people believe about you and, and about who we are. So, God, we just ask you to continue to change us and open us up to that. And we can ask that in the name of the Son. Amen. You can have a seat. So the, 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 Jesus starts off this section like he has a lot. He's standing before a group of people much like this. And he's saying, you have heard, meaning you've heard something and what you heard was wrong. It was a wrong interpretation of my law. It was a wrong interpretation of my teaching. So I want to correct that. So he starts off here in verse 30, 43 and he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And so the, the religious leaders at the time, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were standing before the people and saying, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus is saying, that's completely wrong. That's not what I called you to do. So where did they get that interpretation from? How could they stand up before a group of people and wrongly interpret God's word like that? So for that, we need to look at Leviticus chapter 19. This is the book of the law that they were teaching out of. So you can flip over to Leviticus 19, and it's going to be up here on the screen. So in Leviticus chapter 19, the section is called, The Lord is Holy. So when God gave his people his law back in the Old Testament, he gave it to them so that they could represent him and his kingdom. It wasn't just a a bunch of laws just to to watch them squirm, to try to make them miserable. But he said, if you're going to represent me, then you need to know what it's like to be my people and to live a certain way. And God's ultimate goal for his creation is to be holy as he is holy, which would make sense. I mean, if God is good and God is just, then the more that we can model God's goodness and his justice, the more we are going to really understand our purpose and why we're here. It's, it's where true happiness is going to come from. Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the merciful. Happy are those who are mourned. Happy are you when you are persecuted for my sake. To be happy in this life is not found in material things. It's not found in, in human relationship. It's found in imitating God. And being holy as God is holy. So this whole section in the law, God is saying, I want you to be holy. I want you to be happy. But the way that you do that is by living the way that I have called you to live. Live like I live. And so if you flip over to to verse 17, 
Look at the command that he gives them. Here's how you're holy in your relationships with one another. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, uh, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, right? We can get how they translated love your, love your neighbor in that passage. They were teaching, love your neighbor, right? So where did they get hate your enemies from? If you read on in the passage, look over at verse 33. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. How did they translate that into hate your enemies? Because like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll love my brother. It's the people of Israel. Well, God's chosen people. But that outsider, I get to hate. When God is saying in his law, that outsider that's coming in, which is pretty much the, everyone that wasn't a Jew, you're to consider them your brother. You're to treat them as your own. So this is the, the, interp- the wrong interpretation that Jesus is correcting in the Sermon on the Mount, that you just don't love inside of, of the people. And, and today it would be us as Christians. We have to love outside of this, even extending it down into our enemies and those people who, uh, who are opposed to us in our relationships. And so the people, the best understanding that, that I can gather and from the guys that I've read how did they make that leap from you're to love the sojourner to you get to hate your enemies? And the, and the best thing that we, can, that we can reason with is when God brought them into the promised land and in the Old Testament, what did he tell them to do that, to the people that were there? Yeah, he said wipe them out. He said these Philistines live in the promised land uh, and these are an idolatrous people. Uh, they, and, and historically, you can see they were a really bad people. They offered up their children as sacrifices on a regular basis to these gods. They mistreated one another. They constantly were murdering one another and at war with one another. And God uses his people to cast judgment on those people in the Old Testament. And he gives them the land as an inheritance that, that they were in. So the people took that command to go out, to go and to pretty much annihilate, genocide this group of people, and they said that justified them hating them, right? Well, if God's called us to wipe them out, he's obviously called us to hate them. That's their, line, their, their reason for thinking. And it's interesting, when you look in the scriptures, there isn't one time that God commands his people to hate their enemies. Never once. There's a couple of examples in the Psalms. You can look at Psalm 139 where the psalmist, uh, where the psalmist says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And it's a question the psalmist is asking God. And then he goes on to say, Well, search my heart. Know my ways if there's any evil in me. Which is a pretty bold request when you think about it. That he think, the psalmist thinks he can hate the enemies of God the same way that God can hate his enemies which isn't true because we're, we're sinful, right? There's examples in the Psalms where it says that God hates his enemies, but God is just. God is good. He is able to judge in a way that we are not able to do because we're sinful, right? So we can't take something that God does and then say, oh, I get to do that too. We're not allowed to hate. There's nowhere in the Bible where we're ever uh, told that it's okay for us to hate. 
Now, we can have righteous anger. We can hate the things that God hates, right? God said, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. We're to have a righteous anger toward injustice, whether that's relationally inside of our personal relationships or whether it has to do with justice in our culture. We are to pursue rightness as God's people. We're to hunger and thirst for this. We're to hate those things that are bad and we're to do something about it. But that hate is never to lead to, to that. I mean, we're supposed to be angry toward those things, but we're not supposed to hate those things. We're not allowed to hate our enemies. In Ephesians, Paul says, hey, don't let the sun set on your anger and on your hatred. Otherwise, it allows an opportunity for Satan to come in to our relationships. And so the Jewish people had taken the commands of God and were basically using it to justify their own racism. They didn't want to love anyone that wasn't a Jew, right? They didn't want to love anyone that wasn't like them. Look at the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a perfect example. That's the passage where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's an example of this. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And he picks someone in their culture that they hated. And he raises that person up as the hero in the story. We have to really examine our lives and examine our relationships and make sure that we're not justifying hatred toward anyone in our relationships. That's the essence of what Jesus says here, right? And that applies to your personal relationships inside of your family. I know many of you guys, and I know your stories, and I know you've been sinned against relationally by people in your family. We cannot allow that to justify hatred. In our communities and in our neighborhoods, we cannot hate people like our bosses who, uh, who lay burdens on top of us, right? Who mistreat us. We can't justify hate in that, in that example. Evangelicals, and many of you guys, I mean, I don't know where you are politically, but we cannot hate our president, right? That's part of this, whether he's a Democrat or a Republican, And then taking it a step further, inside of evangelicals, I see us hating other races of people. We cannot hate Muslims, right? And and that's a hard reality we have to wrestle with. But Jesus is, that's it. If, If we start hating another group of people, we're no different than what the Jews were doing here. And we cannot justify it using God's word. It has no place in his kingdom. And and it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy what he what he says here. In, in chapter 5, he says, you're, you're, you've heard love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And here's where it hit my heart. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Wow. Peacemakers are sons of God. Those who, who do not retaliate are sons of God. Those who hate are not sons of God, and they're not a part of his kingdom. So we have to, this is serious, church. We have to really examine this and examine our hearts and what God is causing us to do. And so he says, you're called to love your enemies. But look at that. He says, don't just love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Man, talk about upside down thinking, right? That's hard for us, isn't it? It's not the way that we were wired. We've justified certain people that we can hate because they've wronged us. So I want you guys to picture in your mind, who is that person? There's someone that 
you are that you hate right now. Most most of us do. Is that a relative? Is that your neighbor with his barking dogs? Is that your boss? Is it a race of people? Picture that person in your mind. And then imagine God is saying, I want you to love that person and I want you to pray for them. And I don't think that it necessarily has to come in that order. (laughs) Because I'll be honest with you guys. Some of the people that I have hated in my life, I didn't start praying for them when I loved them. I had to start praying for them and God changed my heart toward loving these people. There are other people right now that God is saying, Josh, I'm calling you to to pray for this person, to intercede for this person. And that's a huge challenge for us, isn't it, church? To take that person and to write their name down on a piece of, on a card. Write it down in your Bible by this passage. Write it down on a note card and then begin the process of praying for this person. And how should we pray? Pray like Jesus did. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? How about the Lord's Prayer that we're going to get to in a couple of weeks? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Wow. How, how can we do that, church? How can, we, how can we picture that person and then actually lead ourselves to praying for them and loving them? We do that by realizing that we were forgiven much. That at one point, by our actions, we were the enemies of God. Right? Romans 5.10, you were the enemies of God. And he came to you and he reconciled you and he brought peace to you through Jesus Christ. Now you are to go and do the same. And when that reality hits your heart, when you look at someone that you're not loving and you say, how do I love that person more? How do I love someone that's persecuting me? You don't need to just start in that relationship with that person. You need to backtrack and think about what God has done for you. And say, you know, at one time I was an enemy of God. One time I was a hater of God. I can look at my life and see that. Wanting my own ways, wanting my own desires, not wanting to follow God, not wanting to submit to Him. I still struggle with that. I still, I'm still challenged with submitting to the ways of God. But in that relationship, God extended me peace. When I was far off from God, He brought peace to me. And when that truth hits your heart, it'll have a natural overflow into your relationships with one another. People in your neighborhood, people inside this church, people who have wronged you in amazing ways. God gives you the power to then forgive that person. So we're going to talk about an example of this. I'm going to have Dennis and Shauna come up. And, uh, and I need to get the handheld. You guys got that? I didn't grab the handheld earlier. I'm sorry, whoever. Oh, it's there, right there. You guys want to come on up? And we're going to, we're going to sit and chat. Ah, wherever, somewhere in the light. Thanks. Yeah, there you go. Um, So this is Dennis and Shauna, if you guys don't know Dennis and Shauna. Um, So we'll start off with really good news. Uh, Dennis and Shauna uh, recently got engaged, so yay! Uh, A a few months ago, a month, month and a half ago maybe now, uh, 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 Dennis uh, called me and we had a conversation and he said, hey, you know, uh, I want to start meeting with, with uh, me, and, me and my wife want to start meeting with you and, and talking through relational issues. Uh, we really feel like God's called us to be together, but it's hard. Uh, and so we began uh, a process of just meeting together and doing some, some uh, we'll call it premarital counseling. 
and, uh, and, and address some issues in their relationship, uh, some obedience things that they need to do in that relationship. And, and they were obedient to do that, and it was, it was pretty awesome. Um, but a month and a half ago, when we first had our conversation, uh, tell me a little bit about what the relationship was like with your ex-husband at that time, when we first started meeting. Uh, you do have to use it, yeah, because we want to record it. Unless you don't want it recorded, do you want it oh, recorded? No, I'm fine. Okay, because yeah. we can turn off the recording. It can, we can come off the grid here. No, that, no, no, that's fine. Okay, okay, go ahead. <laughs> Is it working? Sure. Okay. Um, I was married for 30 years and uh, ended up in a bad divorce in 2006 and uh, left me for a woman he was having an affair with, and it was the worst divorce ever. You know, it took everything from me, everything uh, financially and... Uh, the family. We have three daughters. It was um, very difficult. <laughs> and I didn't ever think I could forgive him for what, you know, has gone on for the last 10 years. And uh, he kept every belonging of mine and pictures and of our children. And, and uh, it's been a hard life since then and went from being wealthy to poor and on food stamps and you know, no money, and and uh, it's amazing what God has done. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. So, so this is the context. A month and a half ago, it was a, a husband who, or an ex-husband who, was evil. Yeah. In every way you can every imagine. Every way possible. Uh, and and was not a was not a believer. And and some of the stories she told me, I was I couldn't believe it. Uh, so we began to meet and, and talk through what it, what it means to forgive and, you know, to, to move forward in, in relationship uh, and to, to love him as an enemy, right? And, yeah. and to not justify hate. So, Dennis, you want to talk about the situation that happened with the first time you guys were able to serve him? You have well, to use the microphone. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, her ex-husband uh, was not a very nice person and... Um, for a long time, I personally wanted to do harm to him for what he had done and put her through. And, uh, her daughter called me one evening and said, uh, can you do me a huge favor? And I told Hannah that I would be there any place, anywhere that she ever needed me and, uh, try to be a man of my word. And she says, you know, I got somebody that's here that's stuck in the mud and, um, literally, <laughs> literally stuck in the mud, <laughs> buried their truck in the mud, um, uh, helping her move. And, uh, she says, uh, it's a huge favor. Can you do it? And I says, well, sure. You know, being the nice person that I am, I try to do the next right thing always. And, uh, she says, well, kind of a little twist on this one. It's my dad. And I'm like, oh, well, Shauna, hurry up. We need to go. And, uh, and you know, like, she's like, what, what are you talking about? What do we got to do? And I'm like, well, Hans is stuck in the mud and we got to get him out. And I, I know the fact that the reason why Hannah had called me because she's been in a similar situation where she was stuck and there's about five young men that tried to get it out for days and couldn't. And that would be probably the most best candidate. So I ran as fast as I could. And, uh, got there and yeah it was awkward and I, you know he said to us you know i'm so glad to see you and in that 
itself, you know, I was like, all right, cool. You know, he knows that, you know, someone's there to help him out. Um, the best part about it was is uh, after I jumped in the truck, got the stuff out, pulled him out, and we went back to the house, and uh, he had thought that my come-along had gotten broken. It was just a chain that got broke. was no big deal. And uh, he offered to pay for it, and uh, eh, no big deal and whatnot. And as he's about ready to leave, I'm walking behind my truck, and uh, I looked at him, and I says, in these simple words, just do the next right thing. It's so easy. And uh, the remarkable part about it is, is, you know, I got to serve God, but I got to do the next right thing. But what came of it after that was the most incredible thing in the world. And what it means to her is everything. This man has kept her pictures that she is, I mean, so desperately wanted. And for her to, for him, about 10 minutes later, sent a text to the daughter saying she could have her pictures. So, yeah, Yeah, it's it's been amazing. So that was, you know, maybe two, three weeks ago, Yeah, I guess. February 7th, 7th, you know, the date, exactly (laughs) when it happened. Uh, And so it was an an act of love, right, of, okay, someone who I could very well justify saying, you get what you deserve. And you're on your own because that's every that's what that person had done. This whole actually, it was even worse. You didn't get what you did, truly did deserve. He was holding it against you. So I want her to tell a little bit about. Uh, so since then, since that act of pulling him out of the mud, uh, what's what's changed? It, everything has changed. Um, that night, I was overwhelmed with. Uh, I should have been praying for him all along, mm-hmm. and it, I cried all the way home. And it was like. I should have been praying for him, and I was so mad at him, I took him off that list. Um, so I immediately started praying for him, because I just felt that's God wanted me, that's what he wanted me to do, and um, the next Saturday, he texted me, and we uh, had some court dates coming up for him to try and, I was trying to reconcile some of the stuff that he wouldn't give me, that it was already awarded to me by the courts, and uh, he texted me on February 14th, and just said, oh, do you have any um, would you like to settle this outside of court, you know? And I was like, absolutely. And the things that have happened from that day have been incredible. Yeah. Just, he is like, I want to get your pictures to you. Um, I want to pay you the money that you rightfully deserve and make it right. Um, <laughs> um, just, he, and he's done every single thing that he said he would do from that day. He's been mm-hmm. completely trustworthy. Uh, he brought the pictures to our home, delivered them. And they're in my garage now, and and uh, he just wants copies. And I'm like, yes, absolutely, sure. I'm going to give you copies. Um, he is. It's, it's just amazing that you know when you can forgive someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, really forgive them. The freedom. <laughs> sure. The burden that I carried, even though I forgave him in my heart, you know, but he asked me to forgive him. He apologized and he asked for forgiveness. And I was like, absolutely. And we've had many discussions since then and he feels a burden lifted. And I mean, just God has changed his heart and Mm -hmm. softened it. And I don't know where that, you know, is going or what that looks like in the future, but Mm -hmm. to be part of the process is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it all starts with just the simplest acts of love exactly. that God calls us to, to go in and to do. And we have to be the initiator, right? We have to go. The world's not going to go. Hans wasn't going to come to her and apologize. 
for the things that he had done, but it took her initiating love and peace to him. And then this snowball effect that has blown me away in their relationship for him to, to give all of these things into really what seems like a changed heart, right? And from what we can tell. Uh, and, and by all means, an act of God, right? I mean, you're talking about Moses and Pharaoh. I'm going to change his heart so he'll let my people go. He was Pharaoh, and God's doing this work. And so we just want to pray for them as they continue to walk this journey. It's hard, you know, Uh, the process of reconciling and having all of these uh, history is is really difficult. And so if you guys can remember to pray for for Dennis and pray for Shauna. Have we said his name? Can we say Hans? Hans, yeah. Pray for Hans. Uh, and, And we're also having conversations of what's it look like going forward? Like, how do, we, how do we now be in relationship with Hans? And maybe Hans will be here at some point. Maybe he would come to this church, a man that doesn't, is not a believer and doesn't, doesn't do church. Uh, can all happen because we're willing to reconcile. So I want to pray for them, and, uh, and then we'll keep going. Uh, Father, we just come before you, and we thank you for this work of reconciliation that you're doing, that you have come to us and you have reconciled us, that in the relationship we were all Hans. Uh, God, we were uh, selfish and sinful and had gone our own way. And, and you came to us, God, and, and, and you loved us. And, and that, that reality changes who we are. And so it, I, it's obviously changed uh, Dennis and it's changed Shauna uh, as they are now able to extend that grace back out to the people who have sinned against them. So pray for a filling of your Holy Spirit to do that, for endurance through trials, for, for just faith uh, through the messiness of, of whatever you're doing, God that they would continue to see your purposes. Uh, and I thank you for both of their just confessions of your sovereignty in their life. And this not be about money, but this be about your glory and whatever you want would truly happen, Father. So we just ask for your will uh, in, in their lives and in their journey as they go forward. So we ask this in the name of the Son. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat. Uh, and, and so how can we do that? How can we have similar experiences like that in our life to realize that God is showering us with his grace and we're to do the same thing? That's, that's what Jesus goes on to say here in, in the second part of, of 44. He's like, how do we do this? Because God, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God, every morning when you get up to realize that that is a day where God has just extended you what we call common grace. It's God's grace for his creation that he doesn't have to give us, but he chooses to give us. That's very different from saving grace that God gives us through Jesus Christ. But rain, sunshine, air to breathe is common grace from God. And if God can give his common grace to a creation that has rebelled against him, then we have no right to not do the same thing, do we? In our relationships with the other people that we have around us. And then Jesus goes on to to make a few more points here, and and he's really going to kind of stab at the heart of the people and their relationships. He says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And so he's choosing someone that's hated by almost everyone in society, the IRS. You know, (laughs) he's he's choosing the tax collectors because they... That's not true. The IRS is not like the tax collectors back then. The tax collectors back then would wrongly collect. 
is they would collect for themselves, but then they would, I mean, so they would collect for the Roman government, but they would also collect more. Whatever they could get extra was theirs. And it was kind of a pyramid scheme where you collected and, pass, and you keep passing the money on. And then the more you can get, you got to pay off this guy, but then you get to keep it for yourself. So Jesus takes that person that's, that's hated by everyone in society, and he says, what, how, if, if you can't forgive and you can't love, you're no better than a tax collector. If you only love the people in your own life, how much better is that? How much better are you than that person? And so we have to think about inside of this, inside of our relationships in this church, it's pretty easy to love you guys. (laughs) Sometimes it's harder, but we, we, we love one another because we value the relationship and we also receive a lot out of the relationship, don't we? Love and affection and mutual service toward one another. It's easy to love people who love and serve you. It's hard to love people who don't, who you don't receive anything out of that relationship. And and Dennis is having, okay, how do I love Hans and not receive anything out of that relationship? That's a hard truth. And the only way you can do that is through God's Spirit, because He's done that for you. But then he goes on, and man, this truth really hit me. Uh, He said, "If if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So he, he, he's kind of doing the two extremes here. He's not only saying you can't hate your enemies, which we would say, well, that's kind of extreme to hate someone. He says, if you only greet and extend welcome to certain people, then you're basically doing the same thing. You're no better than the world, no better than the Gentiles. And so this is where it really hits personal. Think about who your friends are. Are they like you? Are are they people that you only receive something from? Think about who your neighbors are that you hang out with, like physical neighbors. When I looked at my neighborhood and I saw, uh, I live in a very diverse neighborhood, you know who I was hanging out with? People like me. I was hanging out with people around my socioeconomic class who looked like me, who acted like me. There were other people in my neighborhood who I am avoiding because it's uncomfortable. It's hard, right? I'm only extending fellowship to them. I thought about when I go to my kid's school, uh, my kid's school has 27 languages that are spoken. And every day I pick up my kids at two o'clock in the afternoon. uh, And I walk into this, they're called little neighborhoods inside the school. It's where the parents hang out to pick up the kids. And you know what happens in the neighborhood? The same thing that happens in most of our neighborhoods. The white people hang out over here and the black people hang out over here and the Hispanic people hang out over here and the Asians over here. And then inside of those, there's different groups. There's the Somalians that hang out over here and the East Indians that hang out over here. Where do you guys think I go? The white people group. Why? Because it's easy. It's not that I hate those other people. It's just easy. There's There's a cultural comfort that I find. In that. And Jesus was calling me out of that comfort and in to engage with people who aren't like me. Church, in I don't know how many years, in four or five years, if this church is still full of a bunch of white people, we are failing at the mission, aren't we? I mean, we live in the city. We're not out in the middle of, you know, we're not in Prineville right? I mean, it's Portland. It is a very diverse community of people, and we should be embracing all of those people. But it's going to take us being willing to step outside of our comfort 
and being willing to extend a greeting, an act of love, an act of service, something simple. Me walking across a room and saying, hey, I'm Josh, right? And I need you guys to hold me to this, right? I I don't want to, I I love you guys and we're going to continue to be in relationship. But if you're my only friends, then then we're not being obedient. I'm not being obedient to what God God has called us to do. And I think in that process, of, of loving people who aren't like us, of extending forgiveness, will do what it says here in verse 40, 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You will be perfect in heaven, right? When we're with God. But in the, on earth now, God is working on your perfection. <laughs> You're not there. It's the already not yet, right? That we've talked about. But God is doing a work right now of making you holy as he is holy. He's doing the same thing to you that he did to his people when he gave them the law. He's saying, here's a command. I want you to be obedient. And in being obedient, you will reflect my glory and my nature and you will be holy as I am holy. And it has a hell of a lot to do with our relationships. And it's not just about what we do inside of this church. And it's not just about programs. And it's not just about some social justice work. It's about us going and embracing those relationships with one another. We have to do that, church. Otherwise, we're going to look back and say, yeah, we had a great time together as a church, but we really failed in what God had placed us here to do. So we need to go forward. And that process is going to be hard. It's going to be painful. How was Jesus made perfect? Through suffering. Jesus was perfected, that's what Hebrews tells us, through the giving of himself as a sacrifice. And he too calls us to, to sacrifice. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. For you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Perfect and completeness and happiness is found through trials. It's found through engaging in relationship and persevering through those relationships. Philippians 3.12, now that I have already, and this is Paul, this is as as I was thinking through how difficult this process is and and Paul calling us to these things, uh, Paul says this in in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect. We're all there. Not that I have obtained this. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own, right? When we come to these tables, we're going to remember that we were purchased with a price. And we were, he said, we were made the property of God. We were filled with this Holy Spirit. We were brought into his family. And it's that reality of being purchased and of being made into the likeness of Jesus, of being welcomed into his family, that now changes the way that I think about how I interact with you guys, how I interact with my wife, how I interact with my neighbors, and how I interact with my kids' school. Right? It all comes from what Jesus Christ has done. So let's think about that. As we come to the tables today, let's repent of wrong behavior, wrong actions, wrong motives. Let's remember, let's have faith remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then let's leave this place and be an obedient people, furthering the kingdom of God and being called the sons of God. And it's a long, hard process, but we'll walk in it together and we'll walk in holiness together. That's what it means to be the church. So let's pray, let's worship, let's take communion, and let's continue to be obedient to God. Uh, Father.
I just thank you for your word and, and for how it, uh, how it does bring out areas of our life that need repentance, God. And, and I just come before you just needing to repent, uh, Father, of uh, isolation and of, of my comforts that I have, of not being willing to, to do what you did, uh, Father. And, and I pray as I meditate on uh, the reality of grace, as I remember the, um, the amount of forgiveness that I have received and continue to receive from you, that that would be my motivation to go out and to serve other people. God, I pray that at some point in the future, I don't know how long it'll take, God, but I really don't want us to be a a church that just greets one another, but it's a church that embraces all the peoples of the world that you love. God, you said that through a people, all the world would know you. You started with a select group of people, but it was through those people that you were going to invite all of the world into your family. And then when Jesus came, God, I know that you said go out and baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. But we're we're to go into all nations baptizing, not just our relationships or our friendships. So God, fill us. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit to be able to do this, to be bold, to step out, to engage in relationship, to share love and to forgive. And, uh, and would we continue to, to just see your purposes in that and having those conversations together, even this week in, in home community, God. So just pray you would do that in us, and we know you will. We ask this in the name of the Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.